Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Box Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. Thank you for listening today. It's a different day of the week. I know that throws off people who expect Thursdays at 1, but sometimes we have to mix it up. So it's Friday at 10. <laughs> uh, I hope you're having a great Friday, and I hope that it gets even better as the day goes on. Um, my guest today is Kate Hamridge, and she's been a little bit delayed, so hopefully she can uh, call in when she gets to the phone and all that works out fine. And if not, do not worry. I will reschedule her to be on again because she has some really important things to say to writers and some great work of her own to read for you as well. Um, so oh, I think maybe I have her here. Hold on. Let's see if we got her. Joined you. I was Kate? thinking. Yeah, I was on special time. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> hey, thanks for being with us today. I'm glad that you're on the phone. You want to start right away with one of your poems that we had talked about? Sure. Great. Do you have a preference, or should I just go right out? No, I, you know, whatever one you want to read first. I, I, it doesn't matter to me because they're all going to lead us to different points of conversation. So whatever one you want to go with first is great. Sounds good. Um, well, then I'm going to start with The Downfall of Civilization. Okay. If you'll give me one second to throw some candy sure. at my daughter because I'm unprepared. We're going to have that out of fridge. Okay, so my poem, uh, The Downfall of Civilization. Um, They have pumped you irresponsibly, desperately full every night. First, the 900 milligram dose of Seroquel, but the Internet is honest. The safety of doses above 800 milligrams per day has not been evaluated in clinical trials. The medoxepin, Valium, Triliptal, Temazepam, Ambien, Zyprexa, Luvox, Mercazepine, Latuda, Chlorpromazine, Fanapt, Methylphenids, and Vicodin. Like an elephant taking shaky, determined steps despite the tranquilizer dart through his fragile skin, I am up all night with a body that has decided to mount a defense. The ulcer worsens, and they add Prilosec, Zantac, Malox, Caraphate to tell me there is nothing left to try, no more orange prescription bottles or cardboard sample packets stamped with warnings. You have poisoned your body with lies masquerading as hope. The savior they told me was right around the corner, so just out of reach. Your brain can't save you. Your heart leaps frantically against the jail of ribs, a panic attack, a seizure, a body turned inside out. The center cannot hold. So, well, I I love that poem. It's one of the first ones of yours that I have read, and um, and it's part of the uh, the collection that you sent, part of the Unbound Content publication for next year. Um, I, and I'm you know in my background as a medical editor, I love mixing science and art in 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 cool ways. And you did a great job with those uh, pharmaceutical names, by the way. That was actually <laughs> practice in there. It's hard. Those are hard, you know. They don't come easy in spelling or speaking. Um, I like the tone of that poem because it's it's very remote. It's medical. It's scientific. It's distant, but it's also underlying it. There is so much emotion in that poem, and the juxtaposition <laughs> of those terms with what you're talking about, you just sharpens the contrast and makes it, I think, much more easily felt. When you wrote it. What were you thinking about in terms of craft? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I actually wrote it um, right after my insomnia started. I had been up for two full days and nights, so I was pretty tired. (laughs) And I was feeling a little afraid and lost, and I've always felt really controversially about um, medication. And three of the medications I take are experimental. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of at a point where I wasn't sure if medication was helping at all or just making things worse. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like I like that you know you've got uh, the the disclaimer information that we all hear all the time you know as they're giving you something and then telling you it might kill you at the same time you know that's something that I, and you can't escape that reality as you're putting these things in your body and it's a, it's a really stark vision that that I think people can relate to. Um, have you performed that? Have you read that piece at, at readings or live um, or taped, you know, video kind of thing yet? Or is this the first time you're reading it, like, on the air for an audience? Well, it's the first time I'm reading it for a live audience. But I um, <laughs> I have a podcast, so I do mm-hmm. um, record my poems. And um, I like it because I get to talk about the poem a little bit before I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to give us a quick link where we can find the podcast so people can listen, or is that something we can find online if we Google you? <laughs> Probably. I'm not sure. Um, it's over at podbean.com, and uh, my name is uh, Sunshine Gypsy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, now, Kate, you write about a ton of different things. Like, you really go all over the map in terms of your subject matter, but it's always at the heart. It's always a personal piece. So um, you you write about people that you know that are a part of your life that other people who hear your poems might know. Do you ever feel like you kind of need their permission to put their their um, their their personas into your work? Have you ever had those kinds of conversations with people where you say, hey, do you mind <laughs> if I write this about you? <laughs> Um, well, basically, when I started getting serious about my writing and I wanted to try getting published, um, share online and that kind of thing, I went to my mom and I asked her if she minded if I was totally honest, because <laughs> that's just the kind of poetry I write. And um, so I pretty much made a deal with the people around me that um, I could be completely radically honest in my poetry about myself, but I wouldn't share anybody else's secrets. Mm-hmm. It, so, it's not um, always an easy balance, is it? <laughs> no, it can get really difficult. Well, and I mean, I uh, I've, I've written poems to um, people I've been in romantic relationships with. I, I've written a lot of poems about Sophie, and she didn't give me permission, but I don't think she minds. <laughs> the um, you know, I I know that this is a, an issue that confronts a lot of writers almost every every day. Someone deals with this and kind of wrestles it into place. And sometimes, you know, your relationship with the argument changes. Um, over time, have you ever had any any like real negative response from something like that, or has it always been pretty positive? Um, I really have had good luck. Um, mostly, and I write about a lot of really controversial topics, but um, most of the responses are actually pretty good. Every once in a while, somebody will get really offended mm-hmm. and and tell me that. Uh, 
Uh, people have told me that I was irresponsible uh, for sharing mm. things um, online and posting them where anybody could read them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had one woman write me and say, would you want your daughter reading this? I was like, well, no, <laughs> she's uh, three and a half. I don't want her reading any of my phones. <laughs> I, I I like the fact that people assume you hadn't thought that that was something, you know, your daughter would one day know about you and feel that your art was something that you'd want to shelter her from in the first place. But, you know, there, there I guess there are people <laughs> things are scary, and even in an artistic form, people have a hard time. But maybe, you know, for most of us, I think it makes things more approachable, um, and it certainly as a writer and oftentimes as a reader. Uh, all right, wait. We talked a little bit in other times about some of your influences. So tell us a bit, What? how did you get into poetry in the first place? Oh, man. <laughs> I grew up in the tiniest little Midwestern, middle-of-nowhere town. So I had absolutely no poetry exposure whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I had one radical teacher who slipped me some E.E. Cummings on the side. But besides that, <laughs> I really had no poetry exposure until I went to college. Uh-huh. And I took a contemporary literature class, and um, on the first day of class, my professor read us Adrian Rich's 21 Love Poems. Hmm. It was love at first sight. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went home that day and sat down and wrote my very first poem. Hmm. You know, I think uh, her work had that effect on a lot of people, and you know what a what timing because we lost her this week, and that's um, you know I think been yeah. all, one of the things that's resonated with every writer I know, uh, and we're all kind of looking back at her work right now, and, and and probably feeling that urge again to write because of what she she wrote. Um, yeah. I can see that that influence on your work, and I think that's a that's a great testament to her as a writer, but also to you as a reader. That, that you could be influenced in that way and still have very distinctly your own intact voice, then it's a wonderful thing. I like it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure most poets start out like this, but you find a few poets you really love and you end up pretty much just copying their style straight out. <laughs> and then over time, <laughs> you kind of evolve and start getting your own voice. <laughs> When when you think about uh, things you'd like to do with your poetry in terms of maybe experimentation and stuff, what are are there things that you think um, that you'd like to try a little different, maybe in some of the stuff you're going to work on next, or is that something that just evolves kind of organically for you? It's pretty organic. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly, I just kind of coast along writing poems, and every once in a while, I'll sit down and I'll have this idea. And I'll want to write it into a poem, and it just won't come out. So then I kind of have to take a step back, and sometimes it comes out as a new kind of poem. Um, mm-hmm. I recently wrote a totally off-the-wall, different-for-me kind of poem, and that was really exciting. And um, I've actually experimented lately with um, some more kind of journaling writing. Um mm writing letters you don't intend to send or or writing a memoir or things like that. Do you ever write uh, short fiction? Uh, When I was 10. (laughs) (laughs) I used to write really great love stories. (laughs) (laughs) 
to stuff like that can also be inspiration sometimes, or it can just be, feel overwhelming. That <laughs> depends. I um, you I was okay with with general story writing, but when yeah. I was forced to write a short story and you had to pack so much into that bit of I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go to another poem. You had a, you had a few there, so let's let's hear another one. Well, let's see. Why don't we go with the Sophie poem because I love Sophie poems. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're going to read great because we've all heard her voice now, so it gives us something to think about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, she tends to be a top value most of the time. <laughs> it's, that's, that's what she's supposed to do. <laughs> um, this is actually one of my favorite poems I wrote for her, and I wrote it... Uh, a few months after she was born, right after she was born, I had no desire to write poetry. So, <laughs> and no energy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I <love it>. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is um, she has taken up dancing. She thinks of suicide as a lost art. She wakes to write a poem. Her face is not listening to her, and it is smiling. She touches her daughter's sleeping limbs, feels love like a tidal wave, picks up a boulder, rises to greet it. It is May, and the tree outside her window is bare. She begins singing out loud. She speaks in French. She has never heard the words, but reading them from the page, they sound like birds taking flight. It's a beautiful poem. It's a really lovely, and it's a it's a great kind of. Um, it, it sounds like to me when I when I hear it, I think about a respite in that crazy time of a newborn being integrated into your life. <laughs> it's yeah. like a nice <laughs> moment of peace. <laughs> um, yeah, and trying to merge your previous existence with yeah. this whole new mother persona. It, it's, it's, it takes a lifetime, and I think that you know when you when you write something like that, you can see you can see it happening. You know, but even when you can't necessarily feel it in the day itself. Um, how how important is writing to you on a daily basis? Is it something you do every day, or is it inspiration and when it comes type of thing? When I first started writing, um, I was really inspired. I'd write tons of poems every day, and on and on, and uh, then I hit my first kind of writer's block, and I actually read a lot of um, books about writing. Um, Most of them were poets writing about how they wrote, but the Mm. best book I read was actually Stephen King. Um, He wrote a book called On Writing, and he talked about pretty much his method, and he said something that, that really made a difference to me, and that was you have to look at it like a responsibility. Not a job exactly, but but something you're committed to. And so you have to sit down every single day and write something. He said you can write a letter, you can write an email, write a poem, a story, whatever you want, even if you throw it away afterwards. But you have to set aside preferably time every day. But, you know, when you have a small child, sometimes it's four times a week. (laughs) And you just have to write. And I mm-hmm. found that I didn't run into writer's block, really. I know a lot of people struggle with that. But for me, um, if I sit down and I don't even know what I want to write, so I just pick the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, like the poem I just read, I was sitting in front of my computer, staring tired and blankly at the screen, and um, 
it was May, and it was almost summer, and the tree outside my window had no leaves on it still. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to write a poem about that. (laughs) And so much else comes out then. I I think it's just waiting for a springboard a lot of times. I like that image a lot, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you have a collection that is coming out next year. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you put that together, what made you think you had a work that should be published at that stage of the game, and what that process was like for you. It was actually a really big, complicated process for me. Um, I've self-published two books, and the first one was pretty much me just tossing a bunch of poems on the page and being like, oh, it's published. And my second (laughs) book, I I tried to take a little more seriously and, you know, and then format and and lay it out right. And it it wasn't bad. But when I went into writing um, the book that's coming out next year, which is tentatively named Inheritance, um, I went through all my work, and I kind of reread it, and 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 felt the theme, and I wanted to make it kind of um, a kind of an entire growing story, but I also wanted the beginning to kind of circle around to the end. It kind of like you know the the inheritance generations circling around, and the beginning coming back to the end, and. Uh, so I, I started it with a few poems about my grandparents, and then I led into, you know, parents and my life and relationships, and then I ended it with Sophie, mm-hmm. which is pretty much sort of going right back to the beginning. It's a nice progression, actually. Um, now, the other thing that I think um, everybody needs to hear from you, you also do, you kind of lead like a writing circle um, at Deviant Art, and I, you sent me links to a series that you wrote. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your main advice to writers who come to you with a lot of questions and, and need a lot of hand-holding. What is the first and most important thing you tell them? <laughs> the group I run is called Self-Publishing, and... Um, it's not about you know self-publishing a book and you know you know going on Amazon or CreateSpace or wherever you go and it's more about um just trying to get a poem or a story published in a magazine or a journal or online or just anywhere and how to take that first step. So um, when I started it, I had tons of people every single day writing me saying where do I start and how do I pick my poems and what do I do and blah, blah, blah. So finally I just wrote this series of blogs. Um, and they're called How to Get the Balls to Send Your Work In. I love it. <laughs> now, I, now, it needs to be said, okay? It needs to be said. And it, the hardest thing to do is to do that for the first time. But after you do that, it gets a lot easier. And and I think the advice is what's so crucial there because, you know, without that first step, nothing else happens. And so, you know, you can talk about wanting to do it forever, but until you do it, it doesn't matter. And and I think when people hear that, it's a little bracing. And then if they actually do grow the set to do what they need to do, it all works better for them in the long run. But what did people say? That was What was their reaction to that first blog post? <laughs> 
Um, a lot of people, some people were actually offended, and <laughs> a lot of people were just still nervous, and, and uh, I think it takes a lot of hand-holding. I was really lucky. Um, I had been writing for two years, and my mom sent me uh, this article she found in the paper, and it was um, for a magazine for undergraduate poetry writers to submit their work for a publication. And I hadn't even thought about it before. But, you know, I was pretty confident. And I was like, okay, I'll just pick some poems and send them in. And I got published. So I kind of leaped that first hurdle. But Mm -hmm. years later, when I was talking to other people about it and, and trying to explain the steps, I realized how important a thing it was that, my mother had sent it to me, and she had said, yes, you have poems worth publishing, and helped me figure out which ones were the most um, accessible, and mm-hmm. um, and kind of said, yeah, totally do it, and prepared me for it. I think most of my readers, and I have over 100 members in my group, um, really just even after they read my blogs and, and, and they go through their poems and they pick them all out and they decide which places they're going to send them into, they still come to me and they say, but I'm not sure. And they just need somebody to hold their hand and mm-hmm. take them mm-hmm. over that first step. I think it's interesting that that blog was a series, you know, that that wasn't a one-time statement, but a series that you wrote. And I also yes. think reiteration with that message is crucial. Um, what is, how, tell, me, tell us a little bit about the first rejection that you got and how that went after the initial success. <laughs> well, back in the day, <laughs> um, there wasn't all this online submissions and all that stuff. So Right. Right. I would I would buy that big old poetry book and oh my god, there's thousands and thousands of places that you can send your work into and it's totally overwhelming and you don't have the internet to go and, and read some of what kind of poems this place likes right. or any of that, you know. So unless right. you have the money to go out and buy a bunch of magazines, you, you really don't know. So all my rejections took a really long time to get there and they all arrived in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and when I opened that first one, I I didn't really know what to feel. I kind of froze. I was like, this is a really horrible book because I really wanted to get published. But then I was like, no, if real publishers know how to accept rejection and deal with it and learn from it. So... Mm-hmm. I just kept telling myself that, you know, every single day when I would pull the letter back out and reread it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> eventually I got a shoebox and I put a bunch of stickers and poems and crap all over it and I made it my poetry rejection box. And I just started tucking all my rejection letters into the box. <laughs> That's a good way to deal with it. Put it all in one place, bury it, and then go back and start over, right? Well, yeah, you can't you can't throw it away because it's a huge part. I mean, people come to me and they say, you know, you've had so many poems published and you've been published in so many different places, and and you're so lucky and your work is so good. And I want to tell them, 
for the 20 poems that got accepted, there were 50 rejections. <laughs> and some of the places that rejected me, a year later they accepted the poem. Right, right. Right. That's you know, persistence really is key to the game. It, it totally is. You have to keep going back. It doesn't matter how many rejections you get. Change something, fix something, edit something, send something else, whatever the case may be. Um we're we're like totally out of time. But I want you to read one more poem and then um give us the Deviant Art link as well so that people can find your group and read some of your stuff there. Not a problem. Um my personal Deviant art site is also Sunshine Gypsy. I like to stick with a good thing. And um, <laughs> my group is called Self Publishing. You can get to it from my page or you can just go straight there and go back and reread my blogs. And um, I try to update it pretty regularly, and there's lots of really friendly people to talk to. So that's pretty great, too. Um, the last poem I picked was um, a poem I would, ever since Sophie was born, I really haven't had any romantic relationships. But I met a poem, uh, I met a poem, I met a poet online. <laughs> and uh, and we got to be friends, and then we kind of got into a relationship, but it was a long-distance relationship. She lives in Colorado mm. and I live in Illinois. So um, the the whole romance kind of fizzled in the end, and now we're just really good friends. But um, we had a lot of fun writing love poems back and forth to each other. So. <laughs> and it gave me more experience in an area that I had no experience in. So, so um, many benefits you just didn't expect, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, and the biggest thing you can do is just meet as many other poets as you can, you know, whether they teach you how to write a love poem or they give you advice or they just keep telling you you're great. It's all good. <laughs> so this is a poem I, I wrote for um for my friend. For my girlfriend friend, whatever. <laughs> and it's called uh You Told Me It Was Different. I can hold my breath for over a minute. I know the exact shape of my hip bones. I am practicing silence. My lover calls in the dark of the night. For me, it always happens like this. No long courtship, just the knowing, intimately. The changes of days, the words bursting from my chest. I know the shape of your heart. It is in my heart. I am practicing peeling my ribs back. There is a cave beneath, but you are not afraid. You are reading me the poem you wrote, fumbling the unfamiliar words. You are writing the poem as if you did not know the language, as if you were speaking for the first time. You just heard Kate Hammerich reading some of her work, and I urge you to go check out some more of it. You can Google her and find a bunch of her publications online. You will be able to find a collection of hers coming out from Unbound Content next year, and um, you're going to be hearing a bunch more stuff from her over time as well. She's not going to go quiet for the next year, I suspect. Thank you so much for being with me today, Kate. I appreciate Thanks your time out of the me. day. Um, everyone <laughs> have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.